if we read the story of Joseph, he goes through a lot of trials. From, from a dry pit in the desert, to a slave market, to jail. But in every one of those things, there's a phrase that sticks out that's repeated over and over again in his story. And I, I, I just recently was preaching through the life of Joseph, and it really struck me that this is something that I would want as an epitaph on my tombstone someday. And it is simply this. But God was with him. Alright, well, it's a beautiful day today, and I'm very grateful to be here at Camp Mishawana. And we're living in unprecedented times, and it's been difficult for me personally to stay positive all the time. Um, I was telling um, some of you that I work at Potter's House Christian School, and so, you know, March 13th, Friday, March 13th, we were told we couldn't return to school for three weeks, and then two weeks later, the governor said, we're closing schools for the remainder of the year, so it was a big adjustment for me not to be able to go to work. Now, the good news was that thanks to payroll protection, I was able to be paid through the end of the school year, but now I'm wondering what going back to school is going to look like and whether I will be able to have a job, because if they don't go back to school, it's going to be very difficult for them to pay me for another semester when my primary job there is as a substitute teacher for all of the teachers and also as a librarian. So my job primarily consists of direct contact with students and staff. So we'll see what the Lord does um, and trying to stay positive. But in that vein, I decided that today I wanted to speak on encouragement in times of struggle. Um, and uh, this, is this is applicable all the time, but I think specifically for the time in which we find ourselves. And uh, so I have three points, and my first point is be confident in God's plan. We'll be reading from Philippians chapter 4 primarily, and the first eight verses read as follows. Therefore, my beloved, therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved, and longed for my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. I beseech Iodias and beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. And I, I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help these women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement and with my other fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things 
um, whatsoever things are are lovely whatsoever things are of good report if there be any virtue or be any praise think on these things and as I was thinking about what to share this week especially given the latest order by our governor where she's doubling down on the need for masks when we go into public places I, I started to get really depressed and I started to pray and ask God for encouragement, and he brought me to this passage. Philippians is my favorite book of the Bible. It's, all, it's one of the few books of the Bible that Paul wrote where he doesn't really have any major rebukes. He, and he's not um, putting forth, uh, not putting out any fires, so to speak. Not really dealing with false teaching. He's just saying, I want to write this to you, Philippians, to encourage your hearts. And so uh, I was brought to chapter 4 um, because I really see Paul uh, bringing to a conclusion the encouraging things he's been trying to say throughout this letter. And um, he, he refers to the Philippians as my brethren dearly beloved, and he longs for them. They are his joy, and he says, stand fast in the Lord. In all of the upheaval that is going on in the world today, it can be very easy not to stand fast in the Lord and to get discouraged. Um, because everything changes. But in Hebrews we read that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So it doesn't matter what edict comes down from the state capitol or from our national government or from the world in general. We know that we can stand fast on Jesus Christ because he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And it's interesting, there was a CNN reporter this past week who indicated that Jesus was not perfect. But Jesus' perfection and his sacrifice for me because of that perfection is the very thing that my salvation rests upon. And so I say an emphatic no to his declaration he obviously doesn't know the Bible, or more importantly, the Lord of the Bible, or he would not have made such a statement. And then he's talking about us having harmony as a body. And now we don't know much about Eodius and Syntyche, but we, we know that they were having a disagreement of some sort, and they needed to be of a similar mind. And then they needed to be helped by those around them, to resolve their difficulties. And then Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. And one of the things that I am encouraged about when I read that is the fact that Paul is writing this from a prison. And prisons at that time were not the uh, nice stately structures that I have been going to for 20 for uh, 10 plus years. Um to go to the 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 uh, county correctional facility, um, they were a hole in the ground, and he was most likely uh, chained between two guards at any one given time. And yet he's still writing, "Rejoice in the Lord always." And then he says, "Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand." And that's kind of a a, a word for gentleness, we we use moderation in a different way, um, 
but I suppose it kind of works because it kind of relates to being either using a light hand or a heavy hand when dealing with people. And then it says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And what will be the result of this? And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So if we commit everything to God, we will have peace that uh, we do not have, that, that cannot be born simply out of our uh, personal circumstances. And then he gives a list of things to uh, focus on, because when we are always thinking individuals, some people will say that they like to empty their mind, as if that would be possible. But Paul knows that it's not possible to empty your mind. So he's saying we have to be thinking on something. So if you're going to think, then you think on these things. Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, and so forth. He gives us that list because he knows that we have to think. I think a lot of times when we, when we think about giving up sin, we think, well, I can just give up this sin and, and not do it. But we have to fill that void. That's why Paul says in Colossians, put off these bad things and then put on the good things because we need to have the have things to do in place of the the bad habits that we have had <clears throat> and uh so by way of cross reference uh, I wanted to share with you from 1 Corinthians 15:58 now an interesting story about this verse as I'm turning to it is this was a verse that we would always sing a song of when I was a kid at camp. And we would sing it as we were going into chapel. So we'd be moving as we're singing it. But this is what he says in 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For so much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So Paul is saying to these people don't be movable stand fast similar to what he's saying in in Philippians because you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord and the thing interesting thing about Paul is he's writing to these people who are under a dictator now we are fortunate that we are not yet under dictatorship here in the United States we have um we have bodies of government that we can vote on and, and ways to make our voices heard, but it's just humbling to me that he's writing these positive um, words given the fact that he is under those type of conditions. Okay. I have this story to share. It says, One day, while my son Zach and I were out in the country climbing, Around in some cliffs, I heard a voice from above me yell, Hey, Dad, catch me. I turned around to see Zach joyfully jumping off a rock straight at me. He had jumped and then yelled, Hey, Dad. I became an instant circus act, catching him. We both fell to the ground. For a moment after I caught him, I could hardly talk. When I found my voice again, I gasped in exasperation. Zach, can you give me one good reason why you did that? He responded with remarkable calmness. Sure, because you're my dad. His whole assurance was based on the fact 
that his father was trustworthy. He could live life to the hill because I could be trusted. Isn't this much more true for a Christian? And that was from a book by Tim Hansel called Holy Sweat from the year 1987. I just thought that was a really good illustration of what we're talking about today, that whatever happens, we can trust our Father in Heaven for what He is calling us to go through. The second point that I have today is believe that God will walk with you through the struggle. I think a lot of times people talk about struggling in a, in an av- in a, in a sense of, well, we want God to help us to overcome the struggle, to, to be rid of the struggle. And I understand why people think that way. We don't like to struggle. We don't like to suffer. But one thing I have realized um, as a uh, disabled Christian and not being able to walk is that God doesn't always call us out of our difficulty, but he does promise to walk with us through our difficulty. So reading from Philippians 4, 9 to 14, we read, these thing, th- these, Those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me has flourished again, wherein you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Notwithstanding, you have well done that you did communicate with my affliction. So Paul is talking about the generosity of the Philippians in dealing with his needs and taking care of him. And he is saying some pretty powerful words here. He says, the things that you have seen in me and and heard me teach, you should do them. Now those are bold words. Paul, of course, wasn't saying I'm perfect. But he's saying the things that I taught you, I, I received from the Lord... So what I taught you, do. And he had that confidence to know that he was following the Lord. And so he could say that. And the God of peace shall be with you. Isn't it good to know that the God of peace will be with us? If we read the story of Joseph, he goes through a lot of trials. From, from a dry pit in the desert, to a slave market, to jail. But in every one of those things, there's a phrase that sticks out that's repeated over and over again in his story. And I, I, I just recently was preaching through the life of Joseph, and it really struck me that this is something that I would want as an epitaph on my tombstone someday. And it is simply this, but God was with him. You see, in all the difficulty that Joseph went through, he was, he was not like instantly delivered from his difficulty. Remember, he stayed in the pit for a while. He went to, and was sold as a slave. And then he got prosperous in Potiphar's house and was ahead of the whole thing. So he's rising, right? And then uh, his Potiphar's wife accosts him and he runs away. To the point that he throws away his cloak. He's like, I'd rather leave here without my clothes than without my integrity. And then his wife 
Potiphar's wife falsely accuses Joseph and he ends up in the prison. But he is so astute in the prison that pretty soon the jailer puts him over the whole prison and raises him above all the prisoners and puts all the prisoners in his care even though he's a prisoner. And then eventually, of course, he's the governor of Egypt. But in each of these things, God was with him. That was the difference. So we know that whatever struggle we are going through, we can trust that God will be with us and will not leave us or forsake us. So I, so I just want to read um, very quickly um, a few verses from John chapter 16. John 16, 7 to 13. And then verse 33. John 16, of course, is part of the upper room discourse. Um, or uh, at least Jesus' discourse before he goes to the cross. And he says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. And if I go away, if I go not away, the Comforter will not come. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they believe not on me. Of righteousness because I go to my Father and you will see me no more. Of judgment because the Prince of this world is judged. I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. Howbeit when the Spirit of truth is come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself. But whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. You will glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and shall show it unto you. So, if you look in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was given to select individuals, usually for select periods of time. Remember, that's probably why David, in Psalm 51, says, Restore to me the joy of my salvation. And don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Because he knew that God had taken his Holy Spirit from Saul. He had played for Saul when a evil spirit came upon him because of the absence of the Holy Spirit. So he said, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. And Jesus is saying, when I die, when I rise again, when I go to heaven, I'm bringing you the comfort of the Holy Spirit. So he will always be with you. And he'll guide you into all truth. And he'll show you the things you should do. And he will comfort you. And he will glorify me. That's the purpose of the Holy Spirit, to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we see that God, again, promises to be with us. And to finish this reading up, I'm going to skip ahead to verse 33. It says, These things I have spoken to you that you might have peace in the world. Peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. This is another key verse, because a lot of times people say, well, God doesn't want us to suffer. God doesn't want us to struggle. But he's not saying that here. He's saying you will struggle. You will have tribulation. But I, I win. I have overcome the world, so any tribulation that you have is and shall be temporary. So... I have a, a little poem here. It says, God's kind care. God hath not promised skies always blue, flowers strewn pathways all our lives through. 
God hath not promised sun without rain, joy without sorrow, peace without pain. God hath not promised we shall not know, toil and temptation, trouble and woe. He hath not told us we shall not bear, many a burden, many a care. God hath not promised smooth roads and wide, swift easy travel, needing no guide. Never a mountain rocky and steep, never a river turbid and deep. But God hath promised strength for the day, rest for the labor, light for the way. Grace for the trials, help from above, unfailing sympathy, unending love, undying love. And that's Annie Johnson Flint copy. Annie Johnson Flint. So, I uh, just really liked that poem, and um, I think it's a good reminder of what what God does for us and puts in our life. Okay, so. Back to Philippians chapter 4 to finish the chapter. Philippians 4, verse 15. Philippians 4, verse 15 and onward. Our final point that I have here today is be thankful for what and who God has put into your life. So, uh, Philippians 4:15 and on reads Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel when I departed from Macedonia no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving but you only for, for even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again unto my necessity not because I desire a gift but I desire fruit that you may abound to your account but I have all and abound, and am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sweet from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now unto God our Father be glory forever. Amen. Salute every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren which are in... When the brethren which are with me greet you, all the saints greet you, chiefly they that are of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Now, in this last part, Paul is talking about how God continued to provide for him through the Philippians. He's acknowledging them, saying, you were the vehicle that God used to, to help another help me meet my needs and I think it's important for us to realize God says he will provide all our needs but if he convicts you to share with someone else and help them in their time of need just remember that conviction might be God's way of providing for that person God says I will provide your needs but he uses the generosity of his people to do, to do that, and I have a couple different churches that regularly um, donate to me and help me to continue to minister and and do the things that I do, and especially during this time when I haven't been able to go to as many churches, uh, it's been very helpful. 
So I, like Paul, can write a letter like this, realizing that God had provided for me through the generosity of his saints. And one of my favorite verses in this chapter is actually this one. Um, in, in 422, it says, All the saints greet you, chiefly they that are of Caesar's household. So, when, when Paul is in uh, captivity, waiting to see Caesar, and he's in captivity in Rome, he's writing here, and he's still preaching the gospel. Imagine being assigned to be chained to Paul, and the whole time you're, you're working your shift, he's just telling you about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, eventually some of these people turned to him turned to Jesus because there were saints in Caesar's household. How amazing is that? I, I really admire Paul because he's, he's in, this, in this dungeon of hopelessness that most of us, you know, would call. You know, like, I, I struggle with not being able to get out of the house more, but I realize how good I have it when I realize that I have internet access and I have central air if I need it at home and all these things that he didn't have and yet he's still saying rejoice in the Lord always and he is excited about all the saints that he knows greeting these Philippians including the ones that are at Caesar's household if there was ever a time when you would think that Paul would be quiet about his faith and would stop talking about it you would think it would be being jailed in Caesar's abode. And yet, he's still bold about his faith, still reaching souls, still making sure that people find heaven. Why is that so important? Paul said, knowing the terror of God, we persuade men. There's only one way to heaven, and that's through Jesus Christ. If you don't know Jesus, you face an eternity in hell. And and Paul knew that, and so he, he went forth everywhere he went with the message that you don't have to go to hell. You know, sometimes people say, well, why would a just, why would a, a loving God send people to hell? And I used to really think about it in those terms, that God sends sinners to hell. But then I struck an epiphany a, couple, a few years ago where I realized that God doesn't send anybody to hell. He stretched out his hands on Calvary to show you that you don't need to go to hell, but he allows you to, if you choose, to um, be judged on your own merit instead of his. A lot of worldly people say, well, don't judge me. I just want to be judged on my own merit. Well, you know what? As a believer, I realize that being judged on my own merit would be the most scary proposition in the world. I will be standing at the pearly gates when I die and I will gain admittance because when God asks me why I should be allowed in I will simply say because Jesus paid it all and that's the only way that I can say that and I, my prayer is that you would be able to say that as well First uh, Timothy 6.17 1 Timothy 6.17 as our final cross-reference. 
Paul always writes very deliberately. Of course, this is the Bible, so it, 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 everything about the Bible is deliberately, deliberately done. But Paul is very purposeful in his mentoring of his son Timothy in the faith. And he said in 1 Timothy 6.17, Charge them that are rich in the world that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches. But in the living God who giveth us, giveth us richly all things to enjoy. So the possessions that we have, they're not going to last through this life. But if he gives you possessions, if he gives you a certain degree of wealth, then it's incumbent upon you and me to use it the best we can to serve him and to honor him. This little story is called, Forgive Me When I Whine. Today upon a bus, I saw a lovely maid with golden hair. I envied her. She seemed so gay, and how I wished I were so fair. When suddenly she rose to leave, I saw her hobble down the aisle. She had one foot and wore a crutch. But as she passed, a smile. Oh God, forgive me when I whine. I have two feet. The world is mine. And when I stopped to buy some sweets, the lad who served me had such charm. He seemed to radiate good cheer. His manner was so kind and warm. I said, it's nice to deal with you, such courtesy I seldom find. He turned and said, oh, thank you, sir. And then I saw that he was blind. Oh, God, forgive me when I whine. I have two, day two eyes. The world is mine. Then when walking down the street, I saw a child with eyes of blue. He stood and watched the others play. It seemed he knew not what to do. I stopped a moment, then I said, Why don't you join the others, dear? He looked ahead without a word, and then I knew he could not hear. Oh God, forgive me when I whine. I have two ears, the world is mine. With feet to take me where I'd go, With eyes to see the sunsets glow, With ears to hear what I would know, I am blessed indeed. The world is mine, oh God, forgive me when I whine. And that really put things in perspective for me, and I hope it does for you. I don't know how long this uh, COVID crisis is going to last. I don't know all the ramifications, but I do know that God is still on his throne. And if he can encourage Paul in a stale Roman jail cell, which was probably little more than a hole in the ground... He can certainly encourage us as we seek to trust Him. But if you don't know Him, then you can't have the, the peace in troubled times that He offers. So my encouragement to you is, if you don't know Him, that you would trust Him today. It's something that I really enjoy talking about. And I thank you for your attention this morning. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this beautiful day. We thank you for Camp Mishawana being able to be open. We realize that in this current environment in which we find ourselves, that that is a, a wonderful mercy of yours that you allowed to occur. And we, we just pray your blessing upon everyone working here. We pray that you would um, arrest the virus and not allow it to cause any havoc here at Camp Mishawana. 
that your word would go forth. We pray for the campers that are going to come for the remaining weeks of summer, Lord, that you would do great and mighty things through this time at a summer camp. And we just pray for revival, Lord. We pray that people would uh, stop calling evil good and good evil. And we leave all this stuff. We leave all this, these concerns um, in your hands, Lord. And Lord, even though in our weakness we may try to take them off the shelf again, Lord, we know that you are faithful. And we thank you that you remember our frame and you know that we're dust. And you love us anyway. We praise you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.